Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if them bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause them bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to him, Welcome to the feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my guy, Brock. Brock, um, how are we doing this week, my friend? It's been a while since we last talked. Yeah, it has been, but I've been doing all right. Um, I'm trying to situate this webcam problem, get some better quality so you can see this handsome face and these muscles in HD, but you'll have to deal with what you got tonight. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so we do have a lot to talk about. Uh, let's get this out of the way early tonight. Um, the Eagles. I, I, people, people say they have a quarterback problem. I don't think they have a quarterback problem. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a problem solved, actually. Oh, really? You think the problem got solved in, in today's showcase? In a, in a play from behind, decided victory. You think the benching of Carson Wentz and, um, I guess, ascension of Jalen Hurts is the answer? I mean, at least in the short term, yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Um, no, I, no. <laughs> No, I wouldn't. Now, I'm, I'm not a Carson Wentz fan, and, and the numbers definitely support the fact that Carson Wentz has been playing of, of inadequate part this season. But uh, there's more problems. There's more overarching problems than just the quarterback. To put it in basketball terms, it, it would be like what the Eagles are going through right now is essentially what the Sixers already went through for the past seven seasons. You've got a prodigy talent in Ben Simmons. You've got – uh, a wow. crowd of talent in Joel Embiid, and yet everything you surround them with is garbage. The talent evaluation, it's garbage. The management of assets, it's garbage. The supporting cast around them, it's garbage. The play calling, everything of that sort, it's grown stale. Uh, so you need a complete shakeup. Right now, financially, there's not much room to breathe for Philadelphia. But at the same time in the NFL, you could always draft talent. So there's an opportunity for them to build a good core. Uh, but in the time being, they got to look at, as an organization in the mirror and solve more problems than just the quarterback issue. But Austin, uh, having said all of that, I, I don't like Carson Wentz at all, and I'd much rather prefer Jalen Hurts be the quarterback. Uh, but again, that doesn't really solve any temporary problems. Uh, yeah, I I think um, ultimately they're just a mess. Um, yeah, yeah, well, that's true. So is every other team in Philadelphia except for the Sixers right now. And the well, the Flyers, too, apparently. Yeah. So, so 
Most of them not named the Phillies and, and the Eagles. They're in they're in all right shape right yeah, now. Yeah, you're not, not one of those two. You're a pretty good. You're a pretty good standing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have some more pressing topics to cover tonight, seeing as this is a Sixers podcast. Again, we appreciate all the live viewers. Be sure to chime in with your comments, your thoughts, questions. We're always enjoying dialogue with everybody, um, and. Make sure to give us a, a, a subscription, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. As you probably know, it's free, so it's no no, no cost to you. All it is is just free Sixers content to you. Um, you know, any anytime it's anytime there's nothing new coming out, and yeah, please give us a five star rating and a review. Um, so you know, we're just trying to get the brand out there. That's all. And uh, it doesn't cost anything to show love, Austin. You know that exactly right. It's exactly right. Uh, it does. Ha- it does cost a lot to have a bad franchise quarterback, though. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> You're not lying about that. You're not lying about that. Oh boy. <laughs> um. So the Sixers tip off training camp uh, th- this week. They have their first camp today, and um, you know, I I, I gotta say, it's really kind of wild to me that this team I don't know whether it's I guess it's probably a credit to the Sixers but also a um, like the, the, the it's, it's, part, it's partly the Eagles fault of course but it's also the, the Sixers credit they um, you know the, the, they've restored a lot of the good faith that people had with them and the goodwill and that equity amongst the fan base has been rebuilt in a lot of ways. Um, And the buzz that I sense um, about, you know, this team is that they're excited to be together um, and the fans could not, or could not wait to have them back for whether it's because they missed the Sixers, whether they just can't stand any of the other stink fests in the city right now, Uh, one way or another, we're approaching basketball season quite rapidly. And, um, I think everyone's excited for that. Yeah, you tell no lies. And and it's also coupled with the fact that the NBA had a stoppage of play that lasted for a couple of months and then everything was postponed until the summer. Uh, right now, people are really eager for this basketball season to start. And I think another deciding factor in that, too, is the parity in both conferences. I've been trying to pump out conference-standing videos for both the East and the West, but my problem is I can't determine what's harder picking the first four seeds or the final four seeds. And that's a good thing. I still think that if LeBron and AD are healthy, uh, the rest of the league is going to take a year off because that core just got a hell of a lot better and their second unit is essentially starting five. But nonetheless, it's a good transitional year for a lot of other teams. There's plenty of parity in Austin. I I completely agree. It seems like not only the, the expectations are high, but the excitement is high in Philadelphia for basketball. For sure. Um, now, so the schedule comes out, the first half of the the season schedule comes out Mm -hmm. on Friday. And I thought it was just kind of like a weird feeling to me, primarily because like, we're so used to getting it in, in late August Mm -hmm. and now it's, you're getting it two days before camp opens and the season begins like in less than a month. I mean, it it just shows you that they have, it's going to be so much adjusting on the fly, really. Um, and it's, it's going to be a very quick uh, change of pace, change of direction, um, you know, uh, I guess condensed, um, you know, 
uh, adjustments to, to to different opponents and whatnot. And I think I think a lot of teams have a chance to really start off slow. Um, but I also think that like the way that the Sixers team is going, where they're like they're they're getting back to the way that they played in 2017-18. Um, for some, like, like I know it's different personnel, obviously, but I just kind of feel as though they have a chance, you know, to not be so shocking and like come out to like a hot start just because they're all, you know, like, like obviously they have to learn each other. It's a, it's a new group. They have to learn each other. But I just kind of think that they all know like what their roles are essentially going to be. It's going to be sprint, sprint down the court and transition get open, get ready, and then once the half court kind of slows down, then you'll probably see things get a little bit more difficult um, because, you, you know, you're not sure who will be initiating the offense. But in transition, it's no question. It's Ben Simmons, everybody spread. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I thought it was really interesting this week because probably part of it is that they don't want to, like, reflect on the, on the past because there's no point in doing so, and, they, and you know, they're, they're focused on the present. But neither of – like Ben or Embiid was seeming so distraught that Brett Brown was gone. Like they, they offered, it was almost like they were like, you know, they addressed it like, like, you know, he means a lot to me, you know, this and that, but it was, it was also, wasn't like, I miss him, yada, yada, yada. It, it, mm-hmm. they, it, they were speaking very highly of, of Doc Rivers. And I think um, I, I just have this sense that, they're coming into this with a lot more respect for him than they, than they kind of had for, for Brett Brown. And I think they look at his credentials as like a, a championship winner. Um, I mean, Ben's already working with Sam Cassell. It's a, it's a lot different working with a guy that's had success in the NBA as a player than it is with a guy who has never like played the game in the NBA. Absolutely. I've said all off season that this coaching overhaul is arguably the biggest adjustment that Philadelphia made. I'd argue that Doc Rivers is also the biggest addition, but Daryl Moore was able to jettison that Al Horford contract and bring in the right pieces. But what it comes down to, Austin, he kind of hit the nail on the head, is this brand of basketball. And the brand is not the same as the 2017 brand. So you can look at that season and compare numbers similar to how I did, and you can say, okay, well, if you added Seth Curry and Danny Green's catch-shoot totals from last year to the Sixers team from last year, and stack that up against the 2017 Sixers, they come 28 shot, 23 shy of their catch-and-shoot total. Uh, you can look at things they, they did in 2017, like the DHOs, the screens, the drives, and see how everything has decreased in every season since. But what it ultimately comes down to is how Doc Rivers is going to implement a brand of basketball. And he keeps talking about it, the identity, the style of play. It's something that the players have to believe in rather not something that Doc Rivers is going to force upon them. Whereas you have Ben Simmons, who's a little younger, maybe Joel Embiid, who's a little younger. They're following what Brett Brown says. And, and I mean, things have come out of the locker room in the front office that maybe Brett Brown isn't even saying anything. There's a lack of accountability. The thing with Doc Rivers is he's had his job for over two decades. I said this on the Kill Me Smalls podcast, Austin. If you hold a position for over 20 years, I don't care how many 3-1 leads you blow, You're doing your job right. People in the league speak very highly of Doc Rivers. There's a reason he's one of two coaches on the NBA Players Social Justice Coalition. And in his press conference, everything he said 
it sounded amazing. He knows what to say. He's a true basketball coach, but more importantly, he's a basketball genius, and he's surrounded by those guys. You've got Dave Yeager, who's arguably a basketball genius, defensively minded with some good offense. He did good things in Sacramento for a season or two. You've got Sam Cassell, a former NBA player, also an influential voice. You're bringing in two brilliant defensive minds from the Indiana Pacers, one of which played in one of the toughest big man eras in the NBA. So you take all of this into account and you couple that with Philadelphia's core and you look at what they're going to implement. They're going to run more pick and roll. Perfect. You've needed to do that. They're going to have the DHO. Perfect. A team can't guard that if Ben Simmons is 6'10 and hands the ball off to a 40-plus percent shooter. You can't defend that. There's going to be more room to work for Ben and Joel. So I think this Sixers team is going to be a top five seed most definitely, but my expectations are really high. I think Ben Simmons is going to have his best season to date. That's not something crazy to assume, but I think with all of the pieces they have, not only on the floor, but off the floor too, this is going to be Ben and Joel's best season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, t- I kind of try to be like balance this balance my, my, my like, okay, I think this, 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 and this. Which one of these is realistic? Which one of like, and maybe there's more more than one that are realistic. And you know, which are me sort of, I guess, maybe over sensationalizing things. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I I think if 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 Ben buys in, and if Ben really commits himself um to being great and he listens and he's and he, and he puts that you know I think it's so much easier to say this than actually do it but if he puts that fear of missing behind him mm-hmm. um, you know and I think if he just plays with a set of, with you know a, with a freedom that um you know they, they, he kind of hasn't allowed himself to play with in, in years past I think he can be really dangerous and I haven't written this piece yet but I'm going to write a piece about goals for this team. And for me, the, the goal isn't jump shots. Like I'm not going to place an arbitrary number of jump shots that might, that I think part, uh, I must said Carson, Ben, <laughs> ben needs to be, Carson might be a better jump shooter than, than any of his quarterback. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, but I'm not going to put like an arbitrary number of jump shots on Ben Simmons. For me, it's going to be about just getting to the free throw line, increasing that free, that free throw rate. And, once you once he feels confident from the free throw line, that mental block of like stopping and, and you know as soon as he gets near to the rim and turning around and passing away, that's going to go away. And he's going to become this sort of this slippery, slidey, slidey, you know, elusive, athletic guy in transition and in the half court that'll be able to keep the ball low when he dribbles, um, you know, uh, get, get to the basket and 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 uses athleticism. And I think the 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 more comfortable he's from the free throw line, the more aggressive he'll be. And that's really all you need from him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a world where maybe you run some cross screens by the block for, for Joel, some more pick and roll um, for Joel, other plays where you're like, you know, you have floppy actions around the elbow where you're like, you're just turning and squaring into a, a mid a mid range jump shot. Um, I think the more you can run like organized sets for him, the, the you know the the better you'll observe his engagement on both ends and therefore the 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 better he'll be. Um, one thing I, I do want to press upon people and I tweeted this last night and I I could see that I got 
maybe got into some some feelings a little bit for, for some people there. I said Seth, I said Seth Curry. Um, Seth, Seth, Seth Curry isn't gonna isn't gonna fit in that JJ Redick role, and that wasn't me saying I don't think he can be as good as JJ Redick is. I think Seth is a much different player than JJ Redick is. I think he can handle, he can navigate a pick and roll, he can get downhill and like, score in a variety of ways. He's not just a catch and shoot guy. What I'm saying is that if you really watch JJ film, you're gonna you're gonna see somebody who sprints, 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 sprints around screens and just catches and he can, and he's like, he's, he's like and gravity and inertia are just carrying him in a certain direction. He's not even like squaring up and, and going straight up and down. He's like flying to a different side because he, because he's mm-hmm. coming fast and he's just able to square up and knock and, and knock down shots. I, I, so few people in the NBA, like Duncan Robinson can do it. Um, Clay, I think to some extent can do it. JJ is obviously a master of it. You have the shooting gravity and the ability to catch catch the ball from like you know out of your outside of your shooting pocket or catch it and then like you know before you're even before you're even spotting up you're already like rising into the shot. Um, the ability to like absorb contact from like awkward angles in the corner and get fouled and still make shots. That's an that's a unique ability that made that has made JJ Redick the player that he is. I don't think I, th- I think what's what we're gonna what fans are gonna realize is that Embiid really isn't that that good of a screener yet, or maybe he's just not a good screener. But he has a tendency to like stick his ass out and then he'll just jut to the rim without actually setting a real screen. He'll sort of knock the defender off course, but n- not really perturb him. Um, and I think that could be something that that Seth could struggle with in terms of getting open looks because. If because he's slower than JJ, it doesn't come off. It isn't as seasoned and coming off of screens as crisply as JJ is, and I think that might be you know a little bit of an inhibitor. Well, the, my only problem with that tweet, and I saw it, was that you can't replicate the JJ Redick role. So to your right. point, right. you're right. But the problem is, he's not featured in a JJ Redick role. Now I hear what you're saying with Joel Embiid because historically he's not that good of a screener. But he's a huge body, right? And he's got a ton of defensive attention. So, regardless of how he sets screens, the team has to react to that. The thing is, JJ Redick was one of the best shooters off of screens in the NBA. But at the same time, he's nowhere near as productive in the pick and roll as Seth Curry, who's been top five in pick and roll field goal percentage in three of his last four seasons. He doesn't drive to the basket as much. I mean, last year, Shake Milton and Seth Curry both had more driving points and assists out of a drive than J.J. Redick did in 2017 and Robert Covington did in 2017. So I don't think you can really take Brett Brown's offense and the role that J.J. Redick had in it and 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 apply that to the 2026ers because Seth Curry is going to be utilized primarily as a half-court ball handler when Ben Simmons isn't bringing the ball up, as a PNR ball handler driving to the basket. He's going to dribble and create shots off the dribble. He's not going to be a guy, really, that you start at the low block, set two pin downs, and then get him a shot at the top of the key. But the thing is, Philadelphia still has the flexibility to do that. They can do that with Cork Miles, with Danny Green, with Seth Curry. So, in a sense, I agree. You can't replicate J.J. Reddick's role. But at the same time, I don't think Joel Embiid's screens are going to be a problem for Seth Curry creating shots because I think he's going to be utilized in a completely different role than J.J. was. No, and no, and I, and, I, and I totally agree with that. I, I I don't think they're similar players. I just think that people they 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 think like okay, you have two 
really good shooters now on either side of the court and, mm-hmm. and automatically go back to that 2017-18 team. Like, I'm, like, I see guys on Twitter all the time, like, trying to, like, compare and contrast. And they're like, Seth Curry is JJ and, and, and Danny Green is Rocco and, you know, like, this guy and that, and that guy. And I'm saying – like hold the brakes there there you can't mimic that jj reddick role that can't be mimicked but it doesn't mean that that that, that seth is any less of an of of, of a good player he's mm-hmm. you know i i think in a lot of respects he's probably a better player than jj is even though jj is obviously more accomplished at this point in his career um but i mean steph steph is, i mean seth is way more dynamic that, than than jj is um and i think he's i think one of the unique things that seth can really do well is create space that in a way that JJ couldn't do that. Like Seth can really take a guy off the dribble, not like break a guy down off the dribble and create in like a half court situation, but he's the kind of guy that can, okay, it's late in the shot clock. Um, you know, I got to get something going here and he can dribble, you know, a couple of times and then use his footwork to create space in some way and get off a shot and, um, and, and make it. And, I think that's something that JJ, you know, in some ex- in some respects, struggled with. Um, and to interrupt, Seth Curry could also play a really good complementary off-ball role too. I mean, Luca had more front court touches than James Harden. James Harden had more altogether, but Luca had more touches in the front court than James Harden did. And Seth Curry was playing off-ball of Luca when things broke down in the Mavericks' offense. The ball usually went to Seth, and he would have to create. He's got a really good ladder package. He has tight handles and. He's one of the best shooters in the league, literally, for the past four seasons. So I think really any way Philadelphia uses them, it's going to be to their advantage. But I think most importantly, the picks and the DHOs are going to be what unlocks Philadelphia's offense, contrary to what they've done in the past couple of seasons. Right. Um, let me test some of these answers here. Um, Yammer McYambag says, I heard that Brett Brown didn't develop rookies at all. Um I didn't you saw it. I, I mean, he literally did it. I, I don't know if I agree with that 100 percent because, like, uh, I mean, Shamit was, was, was has here for five months though. He was here for five months. Yeah, but Shamit hasn't been as good as he was in Philly since he left Philly. Like, that I mean, was it was because he had he, he had the green light to shoot in Philly. There was nobody else on the team that was going to shoot. Now he's on teams with Kawhi. He's on teams with KD. Um, I'm not giving that to Brett Brown. What I've always said about Brett Brown about, is that he, he he can get the best out of the low. What's that? How about Shake? He played 40 games last year. I need a bigger he, sample size. Oh, come on, man. You got to give him he some credit. 40 games. He hasn't played a full season. All right. I mean, look, Ben Simmons, do you attribute any of Ben Simmons' development to Brett Brown? I don't attribute much Simmons development. Okay. Do you attribute do you attribute any Joel Embiid development to Brett Brown? Again, those two have not really developed that well, much. Well, then there's your answer. It doesn't matter if he can develop a Dario or a TJ McConnell or a Shake Milton. If you can't develop the All Stars on your team, you can't develop players. So if you can get the best out of TJ McConnell, that's great. But if you're trying to win a championship and you can't develop a Ben Simmons or a Joel Embiid. Then you're not doing your job right. But doesn't that speak volumes to maybe like the players have to own up that, that they have to do better? And they do. I mean, I'm also giving them a little bit of sympathy here because Ben Simmons is only 24 and Joel Embiid's under 26. Uh, and you look at how you're long. Not being fair to, you're not being fair right now to Brett. 
Come on, man. I can't believe you're defending Brett Brown as a developmental coach. Who did he I'm develop? Not, I'm, not, I'm not saying he does I'm not saying that he's a good developer of players, but I'm I'm not I'm not gonna lie and say that he that he didn't have a helping hand in developing some of the guys that ended up being valuable pieces. It's, it's just not true. Who? <laughs> Everyone for, for up still to this day, people are like, I can't believe they 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 gave up uh uh to, uh it for Tobias. What does that have to do with Brett Brown? Because Brett Brown turned uh, – Brett Brown helped Shamit become a good player, and then they traded him, and they cashed out. He was here and for five months. He's same. done the same thing in L.A. and, and, and no, he and, hasn't. And he, hasn't. he hasn't been as good as he was in, 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 in Philly since And you're going to give that to Brett Brown? Yes, I am. And that's my, that's my point. That, that, that reinforces my point. If you developed Landry Shamit, but you didn't develop Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, it doesn't matter. You're not doing your job right. All right, all right. We're, 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 we're not going to. This is coming in to develop Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton's game. He's all coming right. to develop Joe and Ben. All right. Copa, Copa Cabana says, yes, you need to stay aggressive. Sometimes you, you go into passive mode. It's frustrating AF. Yeah. Um, and I think that's sort of, um, you know, I, I think it's something that we've been talking about for years. I mean, everyone wants, just wants to see Ben take jump shots because they want to like be able to say that he does it. But I mean, I, I think the winning, the, the thing that's going to help this team win more than anything is him becoming more aggressive and getting to the line and getting people in foul trouble and, um, you know, playing with the sense of freedom that like, I like, like, don't guard me out here. I don't care. I'll blow right by you. I'll go right to the rim and dunk on you. Um, and I think that's the, that's the kind of thing he needs to do. Um, Aaron XA says, do you think his lack of aggressiveness getting to the rim is because he's trying to preserve his back? It's an interesting point. I, I, I still believe that that, that that back is an issue. Um, and I think he's going to need to get surgery on that at some point. I, and I, it, it, in a regular offseason, he might have gotten that done. But I, I, I think he still needs to get that back better. Um, or else that's going to be something that's going to bother him going forward until he takes care of it. That's, that's what I think. Mike, the NBA guy, says um, a lot of things. <laughs> he needs to do both, both making more free throws and getting the line to be huge, but no reason for someone with Ben's talent should average seven, eight free throws a game. Um, yeah, I mean, like we've been saying and harping on it, Ben needs to get to the line more. Uh, I mean, another problem is – he hit a career-high total of drives in 2017, ironically, when he had shooting around him. That number has decreased every season to the point where last year his total was half of what his total was in 2017. That indicates to me Ben can't get to the rim. He can't drive to the rim if there's congestion there. So now if you can space the floor out and relegate him to one-on-one matchups, there's no match for him in the open court. There really isn't. There's three or four guys in the league that can give him problems on a consistent basis, but – Possession-wise, there, there's almost no point guards that can guard Ben one-on-one in the half-court or open court. Yeah. Mike, the NBA guy, agrees with me. What coach in the league can develop an average player into an all-star? Although, this man You're completely is- missing the point. You're completely Thank missing the point. Bray and Maxi superstars. If Brett yes. Brown – If you're coaching to build culture, like if Brett Brown was the coach in OKC – and he's developing Darius Baisley into like a 13-point-a-night guy. Good for Brett Brown. But if you're in a situation where you're in Philadelphia and the two most pivotal players on your team aren't getting groomed and developed by you, 
but you're developing TJ McConnell and Landry Shaman, it doesn't matter because you still need to develop the most important guys on your team. That's why Doc Rivers is coming to Philadelphia. He's not coming here to develop marginal players. He's coming to get the best out of the best players in the team, the players that are going to deliver a championship. TJ McConnell, Landry Shaman, Shake Milton, none of them are winning you a championship. I agree with your second point that, that that about why Doc is here, but I completely disagree that it that, that like it that doesn't matter if you if you can develop. The, the, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but if you're a contending team, you need those guys to be developed by your coach. If Brett Brown was coaching a team that was expected to win less than 30 games, sure, absolutely. But if you're coaching a team that's back to back Eastern Conference Finals contenders with 50 plus wins, the goal is not it's not to develop your ninth and your tenth men. That's why he got fired. There's no accountability. And he's not <laughs> ah, come on, man. I can't it's believe you're here defending Brett. We dealt with this shit for seven seasons. For seven seasons. There's no pick and roll. Defensively, they can't That's defend. a completely different <laughs> argument. That's all of the coaching problems. Now, all of those things aside, and Joel Embiid's development under Brett Brown compared to Dario or TJ or Rashawn Holmes. Brackle it doesn't off. matter if you develop your 8th and ninth, 10th men. If you're if you're a championship contending team, the best players on your team need to be de- be developed by the coach. Not not your ninth and 10th men. Everyone is everyone's important, but there's a hierarchy of development. And and, and if you're worried about the guys closer to the bottom of that hierarchy, the bottom of the totem pole, there's a problem. You're not coaching an 8-win Sixers team. You're coaching a team that just went seven games and could have gone to the finals had they advanced past the Bucks. Rock, these are these 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 stars that you're talking about are also grown men that's taken upon themselves to get better and not just okay. Not- if that's the case, then why do you care about accountability in the organization? If they have to take it upon themselves to do things, then why are you so worried about having accountability in the organization? Because, because you have to make them feel like they have to do it themselves. Exactly. You need a coach that's going to develop your talent, not a coach that's worried about TJ McConnell. Oh, my God. Those players matter, too. You have to have them win. This is a championship contending team, potentially. You need to develop the front two players on that roster. You can't be worried about the marginal stars at that point. Every single coach in NBA history that has won a championship, their sole focus was to develop and groom the best players in the team because they're at the top of the hierarchy. And then everyone else follows. So if Brett Brown is coaching a New York Knicks team that's expected less than 20 wins, sure, then it's great if you could develop a Landry Shamit. But if you're coaching a championship contending team and those guys are getting the development focus more than Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. That's not no what I'm saying there. either. I'm saying that you have to develop everything. Okay, have- I agree, but I asked you, have you what what do you do you attribute any of Ben Simmons' development to Brett Brown? And you couldn't give me an answer. And I asked the same for Joel Embiid. You couldn't give me an answer. Yeah, he if didn't develop them. He did you can't answer yes to either of them, then there's your problem right there. Your coach isn't developing only two guys that you need to develop most importantly. Rock. That's not fair to the coach. Maybe he is. Maybe he's imparting and trying to teach them things, but they don't want to listen to him, which is still his fault. Go coach the Knicks. Go coach the refs. Go coach the team of the refs. That's still an accountability issue. I agree. What I don't agree with you on is that 
they like oh we toss Landry aside. He doesn't matter. I'm not saying yeah. toss him aside. I'm saying if you are coaching a team that is competing for a championship potentially, the hierarchy says that the best players at the top of that totem pole are the most important players. Those are the guys you should be to de- listen. Whose development is more important, Ben Simmons or Landry Shamitz? Ben Simmons. Okay. And if you told me that you don't attribute any of Ben Simmons' development to ben, to Brett Brown, but you're worried about Landry Shamit getting developed, there's your problem. You, ben Simmons, you can't attribute any of his development to the coach. I don't get it. Like you're you're not you're supposed to be I'm, developing. I'm saying I'm saying that when you look when you look over the entire team and the entire pool of players that Brett Brown has coached. Goodness. Generally, overall, he did a fine job with a lot of the guys that needed a lot of development to them. He did. He and, did. And and that's fine, but he's not the he's not the guy that can finish the job because he can't develop the two most important guys. I agree with that. But I'm not it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as saying that he's a terrible de- developmental coach and he can't develop guys. He did. He developed guys. He did. He developed he guys that, that, that aren't gonna deliver a championship. So why does it matter? God. You're telling me the right. Landry Cabot, the guy played on the team for four months. All right. He, All right. he wasn't even on the team. And he hasn't been as valuable since he left Philadelphia. You're going to tell me that's because Brett Brown was a glorious coach. Nobody like, I don't get it. Well, that's actually a good point. I don't know that I can't, I, I can't say at any kind of certainty that Brett Brown was the one responsible for that, but I, I, oh, I, 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 Austin. I, I, I will say that then. Why? Well, I, I can't disagree. Everyone needs to be, I agree with that. Brett Brown did a good job developing the fringe players, but needed to work on the main stars. I agree with that. All right. Let's That's move on. He's unemployed right now. Oh my god! It really is remarkable that like no one has picked him up. I don't know if that's a personal decision or if that's an NBA decision. I would assume the latter, but um, that that definitely is a testament. Um, what what I kind of wanted to talk you about Brown haters or something else. I'll tell. You. I mean, and, and I'll even I will even admit that Brett that Brett Brown was. I'll put it this way: was not put in a good position. To even prove that he was a good coach, he was uh, he was not a good coach. Gotten, at this point, he was not smart to, to to say that. Austin, I don't I think he, I don't think he was a good coach. I don't think he was a good coach. But I think that everything that has come out about this team now makes me makes me question who was exactly responsible for what. You can question that all you want, but at the end of the day, there is one guy responsible. One guy. Okay, one guy is responsible for calling timeouts, looking at the 13 to 16 guys in his huddle, drawing up plays, implementing a game plan. Okay, for the first three to four seasons of Brett Brown's tenure, sure, he he was dealt a bad hand. He was on a team that was meant to rebuild. But then if you look at his body of work after that, when he had a legitimate roster, it's ridiculous. And there's one guy responsible for implementing a game plan. And I don't feel sympathetic because all of these years, that one guy didn't want to defend the pick and roll the right way. He'd rather let guys walk into the easiest shot on the floor. That guy didn't run any pick and roll, okay? Their offense had components that shouldn't have been in there, and at the same time, there were things that weren't in their offense that shouldn't that, that should have been. And now when you see all these players speaking real highly, I can't wait to have DACA. I can't wait to run more pick and roll. I agree with that. that I agree. And nobody liked you at the, at the top yeah, of the show. I agree with nobody, that. That that should be all you need to know right there. I agree with that. That's it. Brett however, however, however based on the stories that have come out since then, 
I, I think it's hard to say what was all Brett Brown and what wasn't all Brett Brown. And that's why I, I that's why I just I I leave it as an unknown, but it was time to move on, that's for sure. Now let's get let let's 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 move on to something a little more important. Um <laughs> now so they're saying you were baiting me in the comments. They're saying you knew I was gonna react like that, so you were baiting me. No, no, I don't, I don't like that. AK's baiting me. No, no, no. Uh, listen, I, no, I, I am smart. <laughs> you are smart. And so you ask about me, but yeah, but, 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 but I legitimately think that it was an, it was an unfair, uh, unfair uh, take. I do. But that's just me. That's, that's why we're different. You've come too far for, for my man to say that. Honestly. I, just, I, I just think it, I just think it. Um, so getting back to where we were, which I forget at this point, um, but I was so, going to talk about the uh, pressers, the press right, conferences. Right, right, right. That's what so, I was going. So, so Ben Simmons comes out and he says, um, you know, accountability was a big issue. And Josh Richardson says it last year. By the way, Josh Richardson, you, it's kind of hard to, to to be the one that to, to to roast out the coach when when I mean, let's be honest, you, you underperformed yourself pretty 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 badly in your one season in Philly. I mean, Josh Richardson didn't it was. Uh, what are you a, a Brett Brown white knight? What if what have you turned <laughs> into? I no, can't believe this. No, no, I mean, like accountability has always been an issue with this team. It was it was it was a massive issue with I mean it, it even came out in publicly this season. Like it all came out publicly this past season with with the whole um you know the the whole Ben I challenge Ben to shoot more, Ben follows it by not shooting at all. Like that's on it's ultimately on the coaching staff to hold players accountable. But I thought it was really sort of hypocritical to um of, of ben to say like yeah we didn't have enough accountability last year when it's like as one of the leaders of this of this group you have to set the tone with your actions if your coach challenges you to shoot more shots then if you're not going to shoot them because you're free for yourself and because you're afraid of missing or whatever you have to do it because it sends a message down the rest of the roster that if I'm going to listen to the coach, if I have to listen to the coach, so do you. By Ben saying, by Ben not not, not doing it at all, and basically out of spite, the rest of the roster thinks, I don't have, why, why should I listen either? I don't have to listen to him. So I mean, I, I thought it was very hypocritical the way that 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 Ben was like, we didn't have enough accountability last year, and I, I'm glad he admitted it. But at the same time, it's like, well, look in the mirror. Show us that you mean it, and 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 come out and and be different this year. Be a different player. Um, so I thought that was something. Um, and I think also like they're all saying that Embiid is in better is is in great shape. I mean, well, I, I think time will tell. But I think one thing that we have to understand is this um, with Joel Embiid. I mean, if you just look at his build. He's just not a guy that's ever going to come off as like, oh, he's a, a specimen of, of what in shape looks like. He's not a guy that looks like he's naturally built to be in shape. He's 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 the type of guy. <laughs> you and I are just off tonight. We are we cannot get on this. I, I signed up for a podcast with Howard Eskin tonight. What the hell's going on? No, 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 no. Listen, 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 it's listen. Unbelievable. Listen to me. Listen, listen. I'm not. When I'm, my point is this. I don't think it's fair to say that Embiid is not in shape because I just don't know that his body type is ever going to make him look like he's in shape. I think he's always been in better shape than people think he is. 
I guess I'm just like not one to partake in caring about the shape that other players come in. And I know I could kind of relate this to a conversation I had with my dad the other day about Allen Iverson uh, with regards to if Allen Iverson took care of his body, if he actually devoted time to taking care of his body, how much better he could have been. And I mean, pound for pound, one of the best basketball players of all time. I personally never really cared about Joel Embiid's conditioning or the shape he shows up in. All I cared about was when that first buzzer sounds until the last buzzer, if he's contributing everything he can. And I think he did. In 2017, he did. In 2018, he did. And this year, a little bit less. And I think that reflects on, on the coach. And uh, again, to slander Brett Brown, this accountability issue and the road woes, they stem from one person, one person that's implementing a game plan. And whenever the Sixers went on the road last year, for a duration of time, the game plan was shoot the hell out of the three ball. The catch and shoots, three pointers attempted, was everything bad. was doubled on the road. And bad. the Sixers looked terrible on the road. You don't have one of the best records in the NBA at home and not translate on the road just because you're two different teams. That tells me that the one guy responsible for game planning is not doing something right. Now, what I'll say, Austin, about Ben Simmons, right? What does that have to do with Joel Embiid being in shape? <laughs> I'm just telling you, I don't care what shape Joel Embiid's in. I don't care what his shoulders or his arms look like. If the first buzzer sounds, he gets the ball and he dominates for 40, 30, 28 minutes. That's all I care about. I don't care if he's eating fast food. I don't care if he's playing FIFA and drinking Slurpees. I don't care about any of that. If he shows up ready to ball, that's the only thing I care about. So if Joel Embiid, as a grown-ass man, is taking that into his own hands, I'm going to trust him because that's not for me to say. I don't know what life at that height is like. I don't know what Joel Embiid on a day-to-day is like, so it's not my place to judge. Uh, I'm going to change the gears here for a moment and talk about this Ben Simmons press conference, okay? Because Austin and I talk for, I guess, like five or ten minutes at the very early morning um, on days we have podcasts about what we're going to talk about. And Austin tells me we're, we're going to talk about the press conferences, maybe the 15th man on the roster. I say, all right, I'm going to do my due diligence and go watch the press conference. I didn't know that watching this Ben Simmons press conference would ruin my day. It, it ruined my day. And I'll tell you why. I don't know if I'm too sympathetic for players, but I hate sports media. And the reason I want to work in sports media is because I want to be the change that I want to see in sports media. So I sit down. And I play this Ben Simmons conference. And I'm just thinking. I have no idea. This. Thank God that players are PR trained. Because the nonsense they have to deal with is ridiculous. And I think, okay, Ben Simmons doesn't show up for an hour, two hours, whatever it was to his that was, listen, 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 that was unprofessional. That I, was I understand. I understand that's unprofessional. But when I watched this press conference, I, I get it. I wouldn't want to talk to the media if I was Ben Simmons either. Okay. And and here's why. This was one of the toughest pressers to watch I've ever seen. So, yeah, it wouldn't be a press conference without the lab questions that produce the robotic PR answers, the thoughts on the new coach. How do you feel about the old coach relationship with the rookies? There's a new guy coming in. How's his press conference? Those are all PR layup questions. And that's fine. Every press conference has them. And some people like to hear that. But in a field that's predicated upon professionalism, the same kind you were just talking about. It just feels so unprofessional to me that you have people speaking about false narratives that they're creating and perpetuating. You've got guys pronouncing players' names wrong in the press conferences. They're on teammates 
They're asking questions about guys they can't even pronounce their name. They're they're baiting athletes. It just blows my mind, right? You've got Howard Eskin's idiot. He's an idiot. He's a goofball. You have Howard Eskin who gets up there and asks two of the stupidest questions I've ever heard, and he's been asking them for Ben Simmons' whole career. So if I'm Ben, I wouldn't even answer him. Ben tries to be the bigger man. He answers. And, of course, the questions are about his negligence to shoot. What answer did you think you were going to get? You've done it his whole career. Okay, so if that wasn't bad enough, at the beginning of the press conference, you've got this guy representing AP who asks three follow-up questions, right? And and they're just disputing Ben and annoying Ben, telling Ben that he's a hypocrite for this. And I'm like, listen, you knuckleheads, you haven't played one minute of Ben. It doesn't look like you've ever ran a full court in your life. <laughs> You're not qualified to ask this question. You're not qualified to dispute Ben Simmons. Ask him about esports. Ask him about how he's training, how his regimen has changed with COVID. Ask him about maybe his friendship with Tyrese Maxey, about his dogs. Leave Ben alone with these stupid, baity, false narrative questions. It just pissed me off. I mean, you've got these people that have a complete lack of understanding of the sport and the athlete. They just have a platform to ask him anything. And, and you saw the moderators. They couldn't help. I mean, I think it was Brian Seltzer spoke at the beginning and whoever else was moderating. Every time somebody asked a dumb question, the moderators, you'd hear them on the Zoom call groan, oh, oh Howard, the, the guy asked three follow-up questions. They're like, come on, stop it. Don't do that. Piss Ben off. How do you piss Ben off four times in a 20-minute press conference? And it's over Zoom. It, it just it, – it, it bothered me. It was tough to watch. And, and that's the reason why I want to work in sports media because I want to be the change that I want to see. It, it, was, it was a tough press conference to watch, and it ruined my day. I would agree. Sometimes the questions are very repetitive and are um, – a waste. A waste. That's the perfect word. If but, but, up- but, but, but it's also on the PR, the Sixers PR, to not pick on those people to answer the questions. Well, it's like the presidency, right? The president holds press conferences and they throw five or six journalists in there that are going to ask layup questions. They do it with every president. I forget the documentary's name, but it kind of investigates how media covers the presidency and campaigns and everything. When they hold press conferences, there's the same four or five journalists that are are deployed there to ask layup questions. So I understand that. But the fact that you've got people in there that have absolutely no idea about what they're talking about. And I, I, I get it. I'm not qualified to say that I'm a nobody too, but I'm not out here asking if I had the opportunity to ask Ben Ben Simmons a question, I'm not going to ask him some nonsense. I'm not going to ask him how he feels about a coach that he's had a relationship with his whole life that just got fired. And if Dwight Howard's coming in to be his big brother, I'm not going to insult Ben Simmons by asking him something like that. I'm not going to insult Ben Simmons by asking him why he won't shoot or why he won't initiate contact. He'll take care of that. You don't have to ask him that. He knows it's his game. I'm going to ask him about his dogs or esports, something he'll actually want to talk about. I'm not going to piss him off with these. Oh, the other day the reporter says to Pascal Siakam, the Raptors unexpectedly, they wanna, you, you guys unexpectedly were lucky to win a chip. If I was Pascal Siakam, I'd react exactly how he did. What are you talking about? We won a championship. You write blogs about me. What do you mean we, we unexpectedly won a championship? It, it's just It blows my mind how the media covers athletes. It really does. I can tell this is a passionate topic for you. It is because I envision myself. 
as somebody that can sit down and have a conversation with Ben Simmons. And and we'd enjoy it. You know, I'm not going to ask him no nonsense. But he'd enjoy oh, it. Yes. Would, what do you think other media would say about you asking about his dogs? I wouldn't care. I don't care. what I, 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 Listen, that's something Ben would want to talk about. It's something in his personal life. Every single day, this guy has to go to the, the, the media and get asked the same eight questions. I mean, how many times do you think he gets asked the same question over and over? Hey, Ben, I wasn't here earlier. Um, how's your, how do you feel physically? You know, I feel good. I'm at hundred percent. Three questions later. Hey Ben, I know you just said you feel 100%, but how do you feel physically? I feel hundred percent. My back feels good. Rehab ready to go. Three questions later. Hey Ben, I know you got your season cut short at that back injury. How's the progress? How you rehabbing? How's your back? It feels great physically. He gave him the same quote three times and they just keep asking the question. It, Austin, I am passionate about this, but I, Tell. I, I can't contain it. When I watch this stuff, it just makes me so angry. Hell, um, Aaron XA asks, do you think Embiid being in shape will limit him dominating in the paint? I, I think it's something that played a, played a factor in years past. I mean, when you have guys that are hitting you, that are jumping on your back, that are, you know, trying that are smothering you in the paint, it, 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 it exhausts you much quicker. And that, you know, by the, by, by the sheer nature is going to push you, Outside of the perimeter, more for sure. Uh, Brock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> I mean, like I said, Joel's going to take care of his body. Yeah. I, I'm not in a place to judge what shape Joel Embiid's supposed to come in, uh, but Joel Embiid is Joel Embiid. I'd argue he's the most dominant big in the NBA, and the reason we have had arguments otherwise is because his post ups and, and and attempts there have decreased every year since 17. But since he came into the league, 2016. He's second in free or, or second in points in the post and first in total free throws attempted there. So uh, one of the most dominant bigs in the post. If he gets the ball, if he's in shape, if he has a spaced out floor, I have no question that he's going to be the most dominant in the NBA at that position at least. Um, yeah, for sure. So I asked uh, – well, so Block inside to ask, who's the best center in the NBA in the league and beat her cat? I, I, I think it's – I mean, here, here's my argument. One that has been to the playoffs three exactly. seasons. So the same people that will tell you Ben Simmons sucks and he needs to shoot are the same people that will tell you, well, Joel Embiid didn't make it to the playoffs. He had help. Who's his help? Ben Simmons. Didn't you just tell me that guy can't shoot? Well, then your argument, it, it, it ends right there. You don't watch basketball. Cat uh, is a fantastic player. Very good three-point percentage. Takes a ton of them a game. Uh, but I still need to see him on, on a winning team as a number one option. For sure. So I, I I had the opportunity to talk to Ryan Brokoff a little bit today, and I asked him about um about like how he would you know like like what it's like playing against Luca versus playing against. Um, That's a good question. That's a good media question right there, Austin. You got a golden star for that. I like that. Thank you. Uh, I asked him you know like what it was like playing for playing with Luca versus playing with with Ben in the limited time so far. Um, and I you know I I kind of think it's an interesting scenario because they they all the all the shooters all the shooter types answer the same way it's elite athleticism it's um strength it's speed um and you know it's it's that ability to get downhill and they all say like i'm excited to play with him because i know it's going to make me money it's going to give me open looks Mm -hmm. and you know it got me to thinking like 
there's a there's a world there's a future where if they can sort of clean up the money a little bit um they have a chance to add a guy like a, like like you know like one or two really 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 strong shooters um you know in the coming seasons and i got to thinking like who would that be and I, yeah i i'm sort of already planning out the the path for them to get duncan robinson <laughs> oh my god you know what, Austin? You listen to J. Cole. You, you told me you listen to Lil TJ lately. You, you listen to any J. Cole? Yeah, ever? yeah, He's got a song called Got Love My Birkin. Is her? <laughs> no, no. Don't do all that. Don't do all that publicly. But he's got a song called Love Yours, J. Cole. Okay? And he reiterates in the no song. No such thing as a life that's better than exactly. you. <laughs> There's a better girl out there on tour somewhere. Somebody's got cooler clothes than you somewhere. Somebody's got a bigger house. But you're not going to be happy until you love yours. All right? So for once, Austin, stop telling me about Bradley Beal. Stop telling me about Duncan Robinson training for Zach Levine. And look at this roster and try to appreciate it. All right? Could you do that I for do. me? We I got do. four minutes left. Could you do that for me? <laughs> <I do. laughs> All right. So the, the, um, let's see here. Nasty Mizzle says, y'all think Ben could be the second leading scorer on this team. I think Tobias Harris is going to average like 21-ish points per game this year. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess there's a world where it could happen. If it does, I think the Sixers are in pretty good shape because that means you're going to have three guys averaging over 20 points per game. Absolutely. Austin, I think he could be. Uh, another thing is that Ben Simmons does so much with passing the basketball that he's essentially accountable for over 50% of the scoring, whether he's doing it himself or passing to the lead bucket. But another thing, too, Austin, is that – uh, look at Luca and his first season to his second season. Trey Young first to second. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, Colin Sexton, Devin Booker. All of these guys make significant jumps within their first couple of seasons. Ben came into the league a good basketball player, really phenomenal basketball player. And I, I'd argue each year he's gotten better, right? Although the numbers don't show for it, he's still growing into his body. He's getting a little faster. His vision gets a little better. So if this guy right now, is averaging about 17, 7, and 8 with two steals a game. His ceiling is much higher than that. I still he could he could have a 24 to 26 point ceiling with 10, 10, 10 rebounds, maybe 10 assists. So I think he's been so good already. He's only in the league three years. He's 24 years old. Once he gets a little bit older, a little more comfortable in his system, maybe you enable him more in the pick and roll situation with Joe. I can most definitely see him uh, see him as the second leading scorer on Philadelphia. It's too early to cap his scoring out at 17. For sure. Um, now, let's get into the schedule a little bit because the schedule came out Friday. They're going to open up against the Wizards. Um, and I think, you know, honestly, they have a really – I think they have a pretty favorable first half schedule. Um, mm -hmm. I, I wrote a piece today uh, basically breaking down that first half. And, you know, I, I think they have a chance to, to, to be 27 and 10 um, through the first – you know, 37 games of the year. Uh, some might think that's like a little bit, I guess, fallacious, you know, dream scenario kind of thing. But, I, I mean, you look at their schedule, they play, you know, I think 16 of their first 37 games are against teams that are above 500. Or, sorry, are, 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 are yeah. below 500, you know, last season or projected to be that this, this season. Um, they play more home games than road games. Um, and, and I, I think there's just a really good path for them to to have a really good start to the season, 
Um, and I, I think one huge factor in that is going to be, um, you know, the, the, they, 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 they don't have too many like ridiculous stretches. They have a seven game stretch. That's going to be tough. Um, they're going to have like a, like a four game stretch. that's going to be tough, but I mean, it, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of Charlotte in there early on. There's mm-hmm. a lot of Washington in there early on um, Memphis, Portland. I think Portland's going to be a tough opponent, but I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of favorable matchups in that early or in that first half of their schedule. Um, I'm really, really, really intrigued by them opening up against Washington. Yeah. I, think, I think that's going to be a really, um, a, a really good matchup for them. It's going to be a fun one. You've got baby Ben on the other end now. Washington definitely got better. I think they're a fringe playoff team. If everything goes right, they should make the playoffs. So uh, there's a lot of new, a lot of new turnover in the NBA, and a lot remains to be seen. I know they've got to situate coronavirus, so. Uh, that also depends on on, I mean that kind of dictates what happens in the schedule. But I don't want to give you a numerical guess, Austin, because the last time I did it was the NBA bubble, okay? And I think I had Philadelphia going seven and one in their first eight games there, and we know that's not what happened. So I'm gonna stay away from number guess, but I do like their schedule. I assume that the stretch of games you're talking about um, comes in January, where they are, are on the road. I mean, early they've got Charlotte, but then uh, it's Washington at home. They're on the road, and they play Denver, and they've got uh, Brooklyn. They've got Atlanta. They've got Miami twice. They've got the Grizzlies. Um, so that's that's probably the, the toughest early stretch in January. Uh, but, I mean, you open with Washington, with New York, with Cleveland, with Orlando, Hornets twice, uh, Washington again. So you can kind of establish a little bit of that continuity early. Yeah, yeah. Um- I, th- I think they have a chance to start out seven and one, which would be one of their best starts in, I guess, almost twenty years. I mean, they, they start off with, you know, they get past, they can get past Washington at home, um, and you know, I think that they should be able to to do so because if you think about the fact that Doc has played against Russell Westbrook four times a year, three or four times a year. Each of the last however many years he's been in LA, he knows Russell Westbrook pretty well. Um, so I think that's something that that if they can get past uh, Washington in their first game, then they have New York on the road, uh, Cleveland on the road. I mean, they they have a lot of road games against bad teams to start to start the season. So I, I came to the conclusion that I, I I probably could I probably should have accounted for the possibility of a slow start more because there's so much happening so fast, but they, 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 they have this, um, you know, this opportunity to, to continue their dominance at home while also remaining respectable on the road. So I, I, I had them at 10 and seven away in the first half, which, I mean, they won. I think a total of twelve games on the road last year. So they've all. That's like what eighty-three percent of their win total on the road in the first half of the year, um, and then seventeen and two, which is. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but th- then again, I mean, they started off like what twenty-nine and two mm-hmm. last season. So twenty, yeah, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. So, so that that's where I have them to begin the year. Okay, um, who's their fifteenth? 
I know we talked about it for oh, yeah. the 15th man. I, I, I think Justin Anderson has a really good chance of making it mm-hmm. um, because I, you know, I, I, number one, the Embiid friendship, it, it cannot be, cannot be understated. I mean, he mentioned that a, a bunch of times during his, during his first availability. Um, but I also think that if you look at Derek Walton, Ryan Brokoff, uh, whoever else you know is in that mix for that 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 last spot, he's the only one of those three that can credibly guard like like three positions, and he serves that that fit as like a three and D wing. I mean, and the Sixers don't really have a lot of big wings; they have undersized wings actually. I mean, cut. I mean, I mean, uh, Danny Green's a big wing. Seth Curry's like there, like, you know an average size wing, but I mean, Tyrese Maxey is going to be undersized. Shake Milton undersized for a wing. They're going to need a, a wing with size. And I think even if he's the 15th man, he fits that profile. Okay. Um, you don't agree. I, I know. I, 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 I think they do have more size than, than you say on the wings. I mean, shake six, six with good, good length. Um, they've got two guys, six, seven, that do virtually the same thing in Furcon and Terrence Ferguson, Isaiah Joe's six, five. So he's an, all right player uh, on the wing there. Um, but I think it'll be Justin Anderson too. When I made my video comparing the 2017 Sixers, 2020 Sixers, the amount of highlights I could have had of Justin Anderson going crazy on the bench after a three or a dunk would have been enough to post a YouTube video. So I think that's a personality they want to kind of anchor the team and have in the locker room. For sure. Well, Brock, any parting shots? Yeah, I got some today, Austin. I got oh, I got some parting shots today. Uh, first and foremost, follow the Painted Lines YouTube channel on Twitter. The same thing. Uh, my Twitter's right here. Landis Brock on YouTube. Uh, my name Brock Landis, and then Painted Lines. I post content there as well. And real quick, man, real quick, for all my children out there, I don't have to say any names specifically, but I've seen it. All right. So for all of my children out there that, that are copying, studying my moves, whatever it may be, you can do that. And, and as flattering as it is, you're not me. I'm, I'm one step ahead. So that's oh, all. Oh, man. Wow. You asked me to bring parting shots. I finally came with one for this episode. I don't want to name names, but. <laughs> Listen, man, I don't want to alienate anybody or make anybody feel bad. I'm an influential person. It happens. It happens in my friend group. It happens with people I know. I can't say I blame them. It's a couple of people. I can't say I blame them. Uh, but to all my children, just know <laughs> I'm one step ahead. I-, I promise. He is Brock Landis. You can find him on Twitter at Landis Brock, on YouTube at Brock. What is it? Landis Brock on YouTube? Uh, Brock Landis, reverse. Brock Landis and the Painted Lines as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter at MBA Krell. Um, also, I you know I did, I, I did a column today on the league's marijuana policy um, being updated. I am constantly covering the Sixers with, with more with more content. Um, you can find us on Apple Pods or on SoundCloud at, at the feed to Embiid. You're always there with new episodes. As always, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Have a good night. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgun time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole under a second. There's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out 
at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. on Instagram and Cobra is spelled with a K. For 10% discount on all products, enter the code TRUSTACOBRA10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today.